The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. Today, the scripture reading is in Acts 1, 4 through 11. So um, there are Bibles under the seat if you don't have one, or you can follow along on the screen. Um, So when they had come together, oh, I'm sorry, four. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Jerusalem? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when they had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by, stood by them in white ropes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the reading of God's word. So as Dale mentioned, this is the second and last week of our Refocus series. Uh, I personally find it helpful. One reason that we do this at the beginning of the school year is because I find it helpful during my life, I get distracted and I find myself over time like kind of just drifting. I don't know if you ever find yourself in that position. And so I try to set up like a for I... Uh, ahead of time so that whenever I get to a new season, I can stop and look at my life and just get a feel for where am I, what's going on. And so I try to do that at the beginning of the school year and beginning of the, of the calendar year and maybe a, a beginning of the summer as well, just kind of refocus. And so we try to do that as a church as well. As a baby church, it's easy to get distracted. There's a lot of different things uh, going on. And so it's, e- it's important for us to stop and recenter and refocus and say, hey, this is who we are and this is what we're about. Last week we talked about the mission of Doxa and we looked at Isaiah chapter six, verses one through eight and we saw the connection between beholding the glory of God and being sent on mission. We saw that just at just about any time in scripture, whenever somebody sees God, whenever they have an experience personally with God, it has a, an effect upon them. It hits them. When you, the glory of God is an idea of, of weight. When you see and behold him, the glory of God impacts your life and it affects everything around you. Uh, it, it hits you. I had the opportunity a week ago yesterday to marry Tyson and Grace, and they're here as their first worship service, or first worship service with us as a married couple back in the back. And it was really cool. And if you guys were there at at the wedding, or if you maybe saw a picture on Facebook, there was a moment where it was really cool because I was hanging out with Tyson before the service, and you know he was running throughout the day, just like the busyness of of like getting ready to get married and. And then like we had the quiet moment before uh, the service starts where it was just me and him backstage and you could see it dawning on him like this moment and he started to get antsy and he's like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, like this is getting ready to happen and then like it's time and so we go and we stand on the stage and you know the the people come through, they, they, they seat the 
grandparents and the parents and then the, the bridesmaids and the groomsmen come in and then the door closes, right? And then like there's that moment of suspense and then all of a sudden the door opened and there was Grace looking beautiful, the bride on that, on that, that evening. And, and if you were there, if you saw a picture, Tyson's face made this kind of funny, I, I would try to mock it, but it would be, it, it would, it was, it was a, anyway, it was a funny face. This is like, it's like he saw her and he started to cry and his face went all like crinkly and wrinkly and like he, he was overcome in the moment of seeing his bride coming down, appearing, grace in her glory, appearing at the back of the room, being presented by her dad to come and take on Tyson's name for the rest of her life. And now the thing that hit Tyson that moment, this is what stood out to me, is that Tyson had seen Grace before, right? So it's not like a surprise what she looks like. He's seen her look beautiful before. That's not a surprise. What, what hit him at that moment was the glory of the moment. It's the weight of the moment that she was being presented to him by her dad, who's been watching over her all her life. She's being presented by her dad to her to him and to be his bride for the rest of his life. And that moment and the weight of that moment hit him. And he knew and everybody in the room knew that his life would never be the same again. For better or for worse, there's gonna be good times and bad times. There's gonna be joys and pains, but his life will never, ever be the same again. Something happened in that moment that had weight to it. It had glory to it. Whenever he saw her and she came to him and she was presented to him as her bride, his life was forever changed. All of a sudden, every lesser glory was reprioritized by the greater glory. And that's what happens Whenever you become a Christian, when you experience the new birth, you may have heard it, just like he had seen grace hundreds and thousands of times before that moment, but maybe you've heard the gospel or had heard the gospel a thousand times before, but for some reason that moment, when somebody's preaching or somebody's sharing it with you, somebody's sketching it out on a napkin, whatever the case may be, at that moment, all of a sudden, it hits you with a weight that it never hit you with before. You saw, you tasted, you experienced the glory of God and that glory, that greater weight reprioritized every lesser glory in your life. It can never be the same. All of a sudden, you may have heard about God's holiness before and your sinful your sinfulness and your rebellion. You might have heard of God's rightful yet terrible justice that hangs over your head. You might have heard of his virgin birth and his sinless life and his substitutionary death on your behalf. All of a sudden, that sounds glorious to you in a way that it didn't sound before. That free grace that is offered to you through the cross, all of a sudden, though you might have mocked it before, all of a sudden it becomes precious to you. That's because the truth of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his burial and resurrection is the weightiest glory of all glories. There's nothing that compares to it. And whenever it dawns upon your soul and you are born again, 
when you experience the new birth, it revolutionizes your life like never before. Before going to church and all the things that may have come with that, and maybe you even thought you were a Christian before and you read your Bible and you sang the songs and you did all the deal, but before it was like they were decorations on the table. They're sort of like the, you know, when you go to a steak dinner, you really want the steak. The baked potato, the asparagus or green beans or the salad, those are all like accompaniments to the steak itself. The steak is the main deal. Before, your life might have consisted of something else at the center. It might have been your career or your family, your children. All of a sudden, something else takes priority and everything else becomes decoration around it. And that's why, whenever, to the believer, just like Isaiah, whenever he heard God saying, who will, who will we send? When we hear from Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. All of a sudden, when you hear that, it's no longer something that you have to do. It becomes something that you want to do. I think it's terrible that idea of evangelism or sharing our faith has gotten such a terrible rap in the church. I don't have to tell you to get excited about something you're excited about. You're just excited about it. I use the example all the time, but you don't have to tell me I'm a Clemson fan, again, for better or for worse. I'm a Clemson fan, and you don't have to tell me to get excited whenever they score a touchdown particularly against those boys in Columbia. I don't have to work something up. It just happens. You don't have to encourage me to talk about the game when it happened the day before. I'm just going to talk about it. You don't have to ask me to talk about my kids. I'm so excited about them. I'm going to tell you about them. Whether you want to hear about their recent exploits or not, it's going to come out. It's why whenever you have a great meal, you might be one of those people that Instagram it or Facebook it so everybody can see it. Or you're at a concert and nobody else is there, but you're going to take pictures of it and post it online so your friends can see what's going on because you're excited about something and you can't wait to share it with someone else. That's the effect that it has whenever you've tasted and experienced the glory and the beauty that is found in Jesus Christ. You cannot wait for other people to taste that glory because it's so sweet. You can't wait them to see him because he's so beautiful. And this is not a part of my outline this morning, but maybe if you and I are inclined not to be excited and not to share with people the glory that's found in Jesus Christ, maybe there's one of two reasons. Maybe you have never experienced that glory before 
or maybe you've forgotten. And, and I pray if you have, are you in either of those camps this morning, that you would either experience for the first time and become a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, or as a believer who's forgotten and become dry, that you would remember this morning and have your heart stirred to the glory and the beauty that is found in Jesus. This morning, we're thinking about the mission that God has sent us on. He said, go into all the world and make disciples. The way we say it here at Doxa Church is that we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. That's, their, that's our mission. It's the same mission that Jesus gave us at the very beginning in Matthew 28. But the question then comes, if you're thinking about it any at all, is like, how do we accomplish that mission? And we're going to see in the passage that was read for us this morning, Matthew uh, sorry, Acts 1, 4 through 11. We're gonna see how we accomplish that mission. We're gonna look at Jesus' last instructions to his disciples, and we're gonna see how that we can accomplish that mission by, by the fact that he sends us with power, he sends us as witnesses, and he sends us out. We can accomplish the mission because he sends us with power, he sends us as witnesses, and he sends us out. First of all, he sends us with power. Now, the, the thing that's happening here is that Jesus has uh, died and he rose again on the third day. And then he spent 40 days appearing to his disciples, appearing to his followers. And now it's right before he's getting ready to leave them. And in verse four, and while he's staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse six. So when they'd come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They, they were expecting Jesus to uh, restore the kingdom of Israel in a physical kingdom. And he was gonna be the king. And he said to them, it is not... For you to know the times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now this is interesting to me, because at this point, he's standing on the side of a mountain, and he's talking to 11 guys. And these 11 guys that he's talking to, let's just be honest, and we know them as the apostles, they're great men now, but at the time, picture these ragtag group of uneducated fishermen and tax collectors and otherwise not very highly respected men standing on the side of this mountain. And their leader appears to them and he says, here's what you guys are gonna do. I'm gonna send you into the whole world from this point. Now that's not a recipe for success. Because if you're trying to like recruit the group of people that are gonna turn the world upside down for you, it wouldn't be 11 uneducated, mostly fishermen. Got, so a few of them were partiers. Jesus called them the sons of thunder. Not very highly respected dudes. Not educated. You wouldn't pick them in this backwater of the Roman Empire to say, hey, this is gonna be the group of people I'm gonna send and start a new religion that's gonna spread to the ends of the earth. This would not be the group of people that you would pick. Except for one thing. 
in this picture, except for one thing. And that one thing is a big thing because the guy who was talking to them had been killed and was risen from the dead. And that makes all the difference. He stood before them and commanded these 11 group, of, this group of 11 dudes who still didn't understand what was going on. At the moment, they're asking him, hey, are you gonna be king now? Is this when you're gonna become king of Israel? They still didn't quite understand what was going on, and yet he stood before them in full confidence that from this moment going forward, that exactly his mission of going into all the world and declaring the gospel and making disciples was going to happen. How could he have that confidence? Because he had risen from the dead. Because he was the God man. He was 100% God and 100% man. And the same power that had risen him from the dead had, had filled his dead body in that tomb and had given him new life. That same power that was gonna cause him to ascend to the right hand of his father. At that moment, he was telling them, it's coming to you. And that is how you're going to achieve it. You might not be very smart. You might not be very educated. You might not be quite understanding what is going on, but I have full confidence that this thing is gonna be a success, not because of you bozos, but because of my power that is gonna fill you and enable you to do what you've called to do. And you and I here, I'm not gonna ask, well, I'm not gonna ask you to physically look around, but you can in your mind kind of look around this room and you guys are awesome. But, it's a small group of people in the backwater of, the, of America. Horry County is not exactly the center of commerce or industry or government or anything. And I don't know who you are personally in your personal background, but I know I'm not the most educated. I'm not the smartest, I'm not the best looking, I'm not the most capable, I'm not the best leader. But he sends us on a mission to go and make disciples of all nations. And you know what confident, where our confidence is and how we can accomplish that goal? How can we as Doxa Church plan to even reach Myrtle Beach, much less to go to the ends of the earth do you know how we can have that confidence? Not because I'm a great leader or a great speaker or because you're all that smart or all that special, but because he says he will send his power to us as we go. That's where our confidence lies. Our confidence to fulfill his mission isn't based upon the fact of, uh, that we have a great cool church, it has cool marketing ability. It's not based upon the fact that we have a great band or a great speaker. It's because the risen one, the risen one promises to fill us with the same power that he used to open blind eyes and bring the dead to life. And he will empower us to open blind eyes and bring the dead to life through his power that fills us and not our own. I love I love football. I love football, and I have ever since I was a kid. I, I have always loved it. 
but there's just one, been one problem is that I'm not athletic. Uh, so I, I would play with friends and I would have fun playing, but I had trouble like doing things like catching the ball. I had trouble, I would try, bless my heart, I would try, but I had trouble throwing the ball further than, I don't know, 10 feet. And even then, I'd have to be one of those throws, like, you know, like, the, where you kind of throw it up and hope they can catch it is in the general vicinity of where they are. The only ability I had is I was somewhat fast, but I could get down the field, but if they ever threw me the ball, it was a it wasn't even a 50-50 chance whether I was going to come down with it. But what if, what if Jerry Rice could tell me, hey, I'm going to give you my athletic abilities and some like sort of magic like genie wish that I could have, like give me Jerry Rice's athletic abilities in his mind then I would walk out, if that happened, I would walk out on the football field with full confidence, not based upon Randy's poor lack of athletic skill or ability. If I could have, like, by a, a wish of some genie, give me John Elway's arm, then I could walk out behind the center and take a snap, not because of Randy's athletic ability, or my confidence to get the ball where it needs to go, but it would be based upon John Elway's ability to get the ball where it needs to go. That's why I love playing Madden all the time. I could throw that ball far on there, and I could just make him do whatever I wanted him to do. Full confidence. And that's what God promised us as believers for the mission. It's not your strength. It's not your ability to share your faith. It's not your ability to convince your family or your coworkers or your neighbors. It's his power and his ability. Because you know what happens when somebody becomes a believer? The dead is suddenly made alive. And he's the only one that can do that. And he's given us the full power to do it. It's our assurance of success before we even start. And it's that power that sent the disciples and the other believers out on the, from the day of Pentecost and the gospel exploded across the Roman Empire. And it has since continued to expand and to grow. It finds its way into every nook and cranny across the globe. Every continent, nearly every country, we're closing in on every people group it has begun to reach, not because our smartness or our ability, but because the power of the gospel that's empowered by the one who was risen from the dead and commanded us to go and promised that if we did, he would give, he would give us his power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And if you are a believer in Christ, that has happened. 
We go on mission because he sends us with power. And secondly, we can go on mission because he sends us to be witnesses. Look at verse 8. He said, you will receive power and the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. What does it look like to be on mission with Jesus? Because you might be sitting there thinking like, I'm thinking like, hey, my life is pretty busy. I'm overwhelmed. I don't know very much. I know you're saying he's gonna give us his power, but how do I even live a life on mission? I, don't, I can't preach, I can't teach a class, I can't sing like Jamin. I don't know what, I, what my role is in this to do. How can I do this? Here's the thing he's called us to do, or actually what he's called us to be. Because more than what he's called us to do, he's called us to be. He said, you will be my witnesses. If you've witnessed something, you don't have to do much except just to tell people what you've seen. If you saw a witness to a car crash or a robbery or something that happened and they called you into court to testify, you don't have to do a whole lot. You just have to recount what you have seen and what you've experienced. You are a witness because you've seen it and experienced it. You don't have to work much up. And there's two ways that we're witnesses. One is we, we're witnesses to who Jesus was and what he did. We're witnesses to who Jesus was and what he did. We're telling a story that happened. Gospel means, after all, good news. It is news of not of what you and I are doing, but of what Jesus did. And this has been handed down to us faithfully from the reliable firsthand witnesses of the apostles themselves who saw Jesus crucified. They saw him rise rise again. And that has been handed down to us. All we have to do is recount what actually happened. This is the history of what happened. We're witnesses because... We're telling who Jesus was and what he did. That's the news portion of it. It's the sharing of the gospel. It's personal and it's proclamational. It's personal in that you and I share it, excuse me, firsthand between friends and family members and neighbors. When they ask us, hey, you know, tell me about your life. What are you about? When you get to know somebody and you tell them that you're a believer, you're just able to recount. You don't have to convince them you just recount to them who Jesus was and what he did. And secondly, we serve as witnesses because we demonstrate lives that have been transformed by Jesus. We demonstrate lives that have been transformed by Jesus. That begins, first of all, by a vertical transformation, a transformation in the way that we view and worship God. And it begins inside. Uh, becoming a Christian isn't so much about uh, stopping doing this and starting to do this. It's about an inner transformation that happens uh, by a, a transfer of your attention from yourself or the people around you, from you looking to find your identity and value from there to focusing on the one who you're created for and who you're created by. A transfer of worship to the one who is worthy of it all. It's a transformation. It happens by an inner transformation that begins to transform how we think and how we feel. This is the moral change that happens. 
when I begin to view my life differently, not because from exterior pressure, but because my life has been transformed on the inside and I want to follow after Jesus from a willing heart. And as the people around you who saw you before see you now, or as you recount to people, don't be ashamed of your history. Some of you, I know your story, and you've experienced some things. Your life has radically been changed. Don't be ashamed of your history, what you have done before. Be a trophy of God's grace. Explain to people, this is who I used to be. You wouldn't imagine. I love to watch Jonathan tell his story to somebody and say, this is who I was. People can't believe it because they see who he is now. It's the demonstration of a changed life. And then that echoes out into an outward transformation, how we interact with others, how we view our possessions, and how we serve other people. He sends us to be witnesses. That's your job. That's how you go on mission. You're a witness to who Jesus was, what he has done, and what he has done in your life. That's all you have to do. You don't have to make things happen. You just be a witness. You put it out on display for people to see. Be a trophy of God's grace. We go on mission because he sends us with power, He sends us to be witnesses. And then lastly, he sends us out. Look at the ending of verse verse eight. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. There's a movement to Christianity. It always has been a moving movement community, a moving movement, a moving religion, if you will. It's like a river. It can never be dammed up. If it becomes still, it becomes stagnant. It's interesting what happens here is, so he promises that he's going to send the, the gift of the Holy Spirit to the, to the disciples. He tells them to wait, though, which is interesting, though, because they already knew what God had happened, just to recount the idea that we need power. They already knew what God had done. They knew Jesus had been raised from the dead, and they see him ascend back into heaven and yet Jesus says you need to wait before you go because it's not just the story that has power you need a power behind the story and so they wait in Jerusalem and then the day of Pentecost comes and God sends the Holy Spirit and power upon them and thousands become believers on the first day 3,000 people become believers on the first day and it starts to spread throughout Jerusalem And for about a year, the gospel continues to spread and transform and revolutionize lives in Jerusalem and around Jerusalem. But something interesting happens because God told them what? He said Jerusalem and then Judea, which is the region surrounding Jerusalem. Then he said Samaria, which is right next door, but it's a whole different culture. And then he said to the ends of the earth. But the believers, the church is still gathered around Jerusalem. They're just still kind of hanging out around there. And then Stephen is martyred and there begins to be a a, a persecution of the church and it scatters the church from Jerusalem and Judea, what? Across the whole earth. 
Some theologians think that that happened because the believers stayed in Jerusalem and wouldn't move, and so God used used the persecution surrounding Stephen to cause the church to disperse and spread everywhere. There's a movement to Christianity. If it becomes still, it becomes stagnant. Some people have described it that it's not so much that the church has a mission, that that our church has a mission, or the church at large has a mission, so much as the mission has a church. He's called us to mission, that's who we are. We are witnesses on mission for God. And we gather together as believers on mission. There's not really a choice that we have as believers whether we're gonna be on mission or not. That's what he's called us to do, to make disciples. That's the mission. There's a movement to Christianity. But then I love this, that he encourages us to go as, we, as he sends us out to go with big dreams. He tells this small group of uneducated peasants in a backwater of the Roman Empire that they're gonna go into all the world, gonna go to the ends of the earth. You know what he's doing? He's inviting them to dream big about his kingdom spreading everywhere. And he invites us to dream big. Here's what I want you to do right now. I want you to picture what your life looks like, your, your, your life, your day-to-day life, and the spheres of influence that you have. That might be your home, your workplace, a group of people, that you, a group of friends you hang out with. It might be your gym. Picture all the spheres of influence that you have. And now I invite you to begin to dream what would your home, what would your neighborhood What would your workplace, what would Myrtle Beach look like if God started to move in those spheres of influence? And people at your workplace heard you witness to the power of the gospel and began to themselves experience lives changed and rearranged by the beauty of the glory of God. How would that change your workplace if one, two, three people that you work with suddenly became believers over the next 12 months? How would it change your neighborhood if your next door neighbor suddenly, you decided to share your faith with them or invited them to a community group or to church and they became a believer? How would that start to affect your neighborhood? How would it affect your family if your child or your parent or your sibling became a believer? How would it revolutionize the Myrtle Beach area if we had pockets of each neighborhood and each workplace and each family who started to more and more have their eyes open to the glory that's found in the face of Jesus Christ and started to spread across the region? How would it change things? People come to Myrtle Beach We're growing fast, looking for the endless summer, and they get here and they find that you can only play so much golf or go to the uh, beach so many times or party so long before it starts to lose some of its luster and you wonder, is this all there is? And then you become disenchanted. And what if those people who came looking for the endless summer because they're looking for heaven, really is what they're looking for, found it in the person of Jesus Christ? 
There are 430,000 people in the Myrtle Beach metropolitan area. We grew between, by 67% between the years 2000 and 2010. Myrtle, the Myrtle Beach area is the second fastest growing metro area in the United States of America. You can probably win some trivia questions with that. We are currently adding 1,000 people a month to our population, 1,000 people a month to our population. If we continue to grow at the current rate, we're projected to be somewhere around 600,000 people by the year 2025. And here are these stats. Right here in the middle of what a lot of people consider the Bible Belt, at least, at least 60% of the population of Myrtle Beach are not disciples of Jesus Christ. That means there's a quarter of a million people in the Myrtle Beach area who are not disciples of Jesus. About 75% of the people in Myrtle Beach area are not regular attenders of a church. That puts us close to a third of a million people in the Myrtle Beach area who do not know what it means to be a part of a community of believers who are worshiping and God and living on mission together. There are 10,500 students beginning this semester at Coastal Carolina University. It's estimated that maybe 2% of that population are evangelical Christians. That means there are hundreds of thousands of people who surround us every day looking for the endless summer to whom Jesus is completely ignorable. And our goal, I'm gonna run along here, I'm just gonna give you a warning. Our goal is that Jesus would be non-ignorable along the Grand Strand. This burns with a passion deep in my soul. It drives me crazy that driving up and down the highway today are people who are going about their business, trying their best to live their life, and they do not know the glory and the beauty that is found in the face of Jesus. And part of the reason they do not know, part of the reason, is that they do not see credible witnesses around them as to who Jesus was and what he has done. They do not see credible witnesses around them of lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. They have not experienced the impact of the glory of God upon their souls. He is ignorable to a vast, to thousands and hundreds of thousands of people along the Grand Strand, and that drives me crazy. And so he said to go. And that's what we are doing. That's what we're going to do. He said, go in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. That's a plan. And so we're going with a plan. It's an ambitious, progressive plan. Here's our vision statement. Our vision at Doxa Church is to plant a community group in every neighborhood and a church in every community along the Grand Strand. Our vision is to plant a community group in every neighborhood and a church in every community along the Grand Strand. Here's our thinking about that. Uh, there are a lot of churches in the Grand Strand area. We need more because of the population growth, but there are a lot of churches in the Grand Strand area. And part of the problem is that 
Christians come to church or people have a church background, but we're not very good at reaching people who have no church background or not in church. There are a number of people that will come to, to an attractional church because of a cool speaker or a cool band or whatever, but it's only a certain number of people and that number is shrieking. We have to go to them. And so we wanna plant churches that are near people so that whenever you're inviting somebody from your workplace to come to church with you, it's an easy ask to, invest, to ask them to come to church. Because uh, in some areas, if you drive 20, 30, 40 minutes to work or to church, it's no big deal. If you ask somebody from Merle's Inlet to drive to Carolina Forest to church, it's like asking them, hey, would you go to church with me in Raleigh, Durham today? It's a sort of like crazy ask. Hey, would you go to church with me today in London? You're like, hey, I don't ever go to Carolina Forest. I live in Merle's Inlet and vice versa. So we want to plant churches that are in each locale. That means that, that maybe no church will be super large or they, and each church will match the unique kind of feel for each local area. A church in Merle's Inlet should feel different than a church in uh, Polly's Island even or Carolina Forest or Conway or the North End. We want to plan a community group in every neighborhood so that whenever you're inviting your neighbor to watch a football game or to come hang out with you and your friends, it's an easy ask to invite them to do that. And they come in and they see. Maybe you invite them to a community group and they come in and they just hang out with you and watch Monday Night Football for a, for a while, but they see demonstrated lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. A witness. So here's how we want to do this. We want to plant community groups, first of all, we picture five zones along the Grand Strand. Uh, one is south of Highway 544. One is 544 to 501. The third is Highway 501 to Grand Dunes area. That's in the about 80th Avenue, somewhere around there, 81st. Then we pick north of Grand Dunes and then Carolina Forest and Conway. We want to plant community groups in each of these five zones. We want our community groups to start to have a missional focus where you're looking at the zone that you live in and you figure out how can we reach and serve the community in this area? How can we reach people with the gospel and how can we serve people and demonstrate the gospel in front of them? How can we own the neighborhood and the area that we're in that we're praying for them, that we're gathering together as a community group and we're not just, not just talking about the Bible, though that's obviously of paramount importance. We're not, we're not just talking about our, our own lives. We're asking and praying that God would use us to reach the people who are surrounding us, those hundreds of thousands of people to whom Jesus is ignorable. We're figuring out ways to make Jesus non-ignorable in the zone that we're in. And we're figuring out how can we plant more community groups in each of these zones. And then as we plant a number of community groups in each of these zones, we picture being able to plant a, plant a church out of that. So just stick with me for a second. I know this is going long. Let's say uh, we have two or three community groups south of Highway 544, and then we get another one, and then we get another one, and we see our, we have four or five community groups south of 544. Can we can we spin those community groups off to become a church that's located here in this area so they can own this area? That's what we're picturing happening. 
So in order to do that, you see we're going to need leaders of community groups. We're going to need to see, have community groups that are focused on their particular area. You have people figuring out how can we reach and serve each area. We're going to have to figure out, start new ministries that, uh, that focus on areas of need in each of these communities and areas. It's a great calling to us. We're going to plant community groups and then we're going to plant churches. And here's something that's ambitious. We're already beginning plans to plant the next church. Because he told us to go. So here's our current kind of general timeline. This is a rough draft. May change as we move on. We want to begin in spring of 2017 to begin a search for a church planning resident who had come in, we had resource and train to prepare to plant a church. In late summer or fall of 2017, we want to select and offer that resident to come on board, to come on staff, which will be interesting because we don't have a full-time staff member at all yet. This church planning residence, as we currently plan, would be our first full-time staff member. And then in January 2018, we want to bring in that church planning resident to begin groundwork to prepare for our first plant. And then in fall 2018, we want to launch the first Doxa plant. We think it will probably be south. We're not sure. This vision to plant community groups and plant churches all across the Grand Strand is ambitious. It will require manpower, it will require finances, and we're a ragtag group of people here in a gym, a smelly gym in elementary school. How are we going to get there? I don't know. But I know the risen one who possesses all power and authority has told us to go. And I believe not in you or me, frankly, but I believe in him. And I believe if we go, he will fill us and he will empower us. He'll bring us the manpower that we need. He will bring us the finances that we need. All we have to do is stay on focus and be witnesses and to obey that call to mission. What would your neighborhood, what would your workplace, what would our region look like if God moved in power and we're able to plant a community group in neighborhoods along the Grand Strand and a church in each community. And Jesus was not ignorable by the hundreds of thousands of people to whom he currently is ignorable. He sends us with his power. I pray we would dedicate ourselves to that mission today and that vision today. Where's your place in this? If you don't already know, I hope you'll figure it out. We're going to have a ministry fair next week. It's just our first stab at starting to do that. Areas that you can serve, community group that you can join. Maybe you don't know what area God has gifted and empowered you in yet, but I know he has.
And the way that you figure that out is by being a part of the community and starting to move out a mission. We're gonna do it. Some of our efforts will be feeble. Some of them will falter. Some of them will fall flat. But some of them, God will blow the breath of his Holy Spirit in and he will do amazing things and he will get all the glory. He will get all the glory. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.